1 Samuel 18, 6 through 12. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out from all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing, to meet King Saul with tambourines and songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had a spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Thanks, Rex. Good morning again. Thank you for being here and taking the trouble. This is the right place to be. As we move into the Advent season, we'll be talking about living in the light of Christ. What can that be like? Our New Testament scripture and reading today is from the Gospel of Mark, the 10th chapter. We'll be looking at verses 35 through 45. In your pew Bible there, that's page 1077. Mark 10, 33, excuse me, 35 through 45. Let's hear what Mark says. Now James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant to us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. And Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? (laughs) And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with a baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left hand is not mine to grant. It is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the other 10 heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called to him and said, called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Let's talk to God for a second. Father, thank you. We have adored you and confess now we want to hear from you and the Holy Spirit to teach us and to touch us. We pray that you would open our hearts and our minds. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your ears, O Lord God. Amen. 
So we talk about holidays and just had Thanksgiving and moving towards Christmas. I don't know what your family's like. It might be crazy like mine, a little, little dysfunctional, a little, a little too much family sometimes, or maybe perfect and wonderful, and that's great. I grew up in a family of nine brothers and sisters. We were <laughs> the hers, mine, and ours. Someone said that we don't have a family tree, we have a family bush. It's very, very unique. My brother and I, he was one year younger than I, he was my real brother, were always competing with each other. We were always comparing, always trying to be the best and see, make sure that we got, you know, that mom was fair and dad was fair and that, that we were always winners. And we were always, always back and forth a sibling rivalry. One holiday when we were in Austin, Texas, bad weather like this, and we were bored, we were upstairs, we were playing darts. Not, not these mamby-pamby plastic safety darts, real men darts with with steel, you know, points, and, and we were playing darts in our dartboard, and we got bored, and we thought, let's see who's the best at this. So he sat on his bed, and I sat across at my bed, and we decided we took our shoes off. Great middle school guys, right? Let's see who can get closest to each other's feet. Mom just can hear her now, and so I threw one, missed. He threw one. I threw one. Boom! Right in his ankle, just stuck in his ankle. Now my brother has a temper, and he's he he moves pretty fast. And I knew I was a dead man, so I ran for the door. And right when I got the door, he full full just wham, and literally stuck that dart all the way to the chest in my back. Went down to my poor mother. She's crying. Lord. She just can't believe she's pulling out. And my brother walks in and goes, "I guess I won, didn't I?" <laughs> so that's one of our mom's memories. Always competing. Always trying to be the best. Well, Jesus had that same problem with some brothers. He had these 12 guys. And you can imagine, they were always you know, trying to see who was better than the other guy and one up in each other. But there were these two brothers, James and John. And they were called the sons of thunder. And you know, they were always competing like us. And, and you can see it here. You can see it in the scripture. Jesus is about to be crucified. He's told them he's going to Jerusalem to be killed. And they're arguing about who's going to get the, the best spot. They come up to Jesus. And you've ever had your kids do this? Hey, mom, whatever I say, would you say yes? <laughs> they go, hey, Jesus, whatever we ask you, say yes. And Jesus is like, I'm not doing that. What do you want? They say, hey, we know you're going into Jerusalem and you're going to throw the Romans out and you're going to be king and we want to sit your right. We want to sit the throne too. We want to be in your cabinet. We want to be minister one and two. And Jesus is like, really? Are you willing to drink the cup that I'm going to drink and be baptized? They're like, cup? Wine? Yeah, like at the banquet feast? Yeah, we want a cup of wine. Yeah, we'll party with you. Remember the wedding in Canaan? Man, that was a great party. Yeah, we'll drink the cup. They have no idea what he's talking about. He's talking about the cup of death. The scripture says the cup of God's wrath. The cup that he's going to be praying in just a week or so that God would take away from him as he prays and bleeds in the garden. Take this cup away from me. The cup of death. And they said, yeah, we'll do that. He goes, fine, you will drink from that cup. And they do. James, in less than three weeks, James is the first to stop and gets his head cut off. Peter, excuse me, uh, John, he gets exiled in the island of Patmos. He gets persecuted for his faith. But he says, I, I can't give you that place in heaven. Only God can give that. And then listen to what happens. Listen to this, this whole rivalry that keeps going. It says that the other 10 kind of get wind of this and they hear what's going on and they get, and the word indignant means they are ticked off. You know why they were so mad? Because they got to Jesus first because they didn't think of it yet. They all want to be hot shot and they're all competing. And Jesus is like, this is not good. This is poison. Really three years and this is what you're fighting over? You ever had that with your kids? You're, really, we're still fighting over this? He brings them all together. He says, you know what, guys? You know what, friends? You know what, followers? The pagans think the most important guy is the guy at the top of the heap, the guy in charge, the CEO, the, the, the military director. They think that, that the guy at the top of the, of, of the chain of command, the, the, the corporate ladder, that that's the most important guy. It's not. 
In my kingdom, it's the guy at the bottom. It's the guy that serves. I'm going to turn that whole pyramid upside down. It's the person that serves the most people. Because he knows this deadly disease, this deadly sin is toxic and it's moving its way through his disciples. It's one of the most deadly sins in the Bible. And yet, by the way, it's the least preached on sin in the United States. George Barnett says that this sin is the least preached on sin in the United States. It's called, the Old Testament calls it covetousness. We call it envy and greed. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It's one of the seven deadly sins. And it's the least preached on sin in the United States. In fact, let's see, here's what the Old Testament says about it, or calls it. In Exodus, one of the Ten Commandments, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And the word we use for it is envy. Tim Keller also says he, he, he counsels and preaches in New York City to thousands upon thousands of people. He said in all his years of ministry, he's never had anyone come up to him and say, I'm really struggling with envy. Oh, they'll come up and say, I'm struggling with lust. Or, I, I, I'm committed adultery. I'm having an affair. I, I, I'm, I'm dealing pornography. I'm gambling. I'm gossiping. I stole from my... Co-. They always, but no one's ever come and said, I really am struggling with this sin of envy and pride. In fact, <clears throat> it's interesting that the, 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 the sin of envy has no pleasure to it. It has no, no payback at all. You understand sexual sin, short little payback, long-term consequence, or, or anger, or stealing, or lying, but envy is a miserable sin. It gives nothing back. Look at what C.S. Lewis says to us in Mere Christianity about this sin. He's talking about envy and pride. He said, pride, or envy, gets no pleasure out of having something, but only out of having more of it than the next person. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition is gone, pride is gone. It's that we just want more. And as we move into the Advent season, talk about living in the light of Christ, more than ever, this time of year, this sin, this insidious, forgotten, almost virtuous in our culture sin, creeps in and takes us into the darkness. We don't live in the light of Christ. Uh, Think about our whole culture is all about, in fact, we've made a virtue out of it. We're in it to win it. We're on our way to number one. Uh, he who dies with the most toys wins. We, we almost make it a virtue. It brings darkness instead of light. So what do we do with this? I mean, listen to the words of our, even our songs. The number one rock and roll song in Rolling Stone magazine, historically, is by the Rolling Stones. It says, I can't get no satisfaction. You two came along later in the 80s, and they, they redid a whole version of this same insidious sin. I've been here, I've done this, I've climbed, I, I, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. My kids are watching James Bond Marathon this weekend, and there's one James Bond, it says the world is not enough. Scripture says that we're like that. We never get enough, and it brings us into the darkness. What do we do about this? How do we know if this is our problem? Have you ever seen the movie, if you're into uh, superheroes, or your kids are into superheroes, The Avengers? When it came out, it had all the great superheroes in it, and Captain America and the Hulk and, and it, it had you know, Iron Man. Well, they're all together in this lab and they're, they're in their alter egos. They're, they're new human. Tony Stark is there and, Captain, and, and uh, Dr. Bruce Banner, who's the Hulk, is there. And Tony Stark keeps looking at Bruce Banner, who's the Hulk. And he keeps poking him with this electric charge. And Captain America's like, what are you doing? He says, I want to see the green monster. I want to see the green monster. 
That's what scripture says that Satan does to us, that he pokes us through envy and pride and, and through our culture and through this, you know, Black Friday, you know, thanks. There's even a commercial that called it Thanksgiving, not Thanksgiving. He pokes us to say, you don't have enough. And, and, and Satan wants to turn us into the green monster. What are some symptoms that, that this green monster, that this sin is, is a part of our life? Again, I, I'm plagiarizing completely from Tim Keller now. He really helped me with this. He said there's three symptoms of envy that we have to watch for in our lives. Three ways we can tell the green monster is taken over. First, we compare, then we want, and then we resent. We compare, we want, and we resent. Let's look at these for a second. Compare. Ever had a song stuck in your head that you just can't get? It's a horrible song, and it's stuck in your head over and over again. How many the other day? Bobby Doobie, sold it to me. Bobby Doobie, sold it to me. Good job, Bobby Doobie. I can't get this out of my head. I'm not buying a truck, though. Well, that's what was happening to Saul one day. The great King Saul, who'd always been the champion of the Jews, and then he started disobeying God, started envying. And David has been given, taken from Saul, David's been given the kingdom. He's just a young teenager, and he defeats Goliath when Saul's hiding. And he goes out to fight with Israel. It's David and Saul, and they come back into the city. And usually when Saul comes back in after defeating the pagans, there's a big party. The women are out there and they're cheering and flowing. It's a big celebration. Well, not this time. As they're marching in and King Saul's the head, he hears this, insidia, this song over and over again. Saul has slain his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. Saul has slain his thousands, but David... And it drove him nuts. He kept being compared. It says from that moment on, Saul eyed David. He started watching him. He was looking for a way to kill him. As Rex read, he became demon-possessed. He started throwing spears at the next king, the next king of Israel. There's also a picture of this in the New Testament, again, with the disciples. If you remember after the uh, crucifixion, the resurrection, and Peter has screwed up and denied Christ three times, well, then Jesus starts appearing. Well, in John 21, he appears on the shore while they're fishing. And they, they realize it's Jesus, and they swim over there, and there's a fire. And Christ is sitting there, and Christ restores Peter three times. Peter denied him. I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him. And Jesus says, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? And they get restored. They, they restore that relationship. But there's a little verse in there. It's kind of parenthetical that people miss. And it's all about this comparing. Peter's just been all th- through all this. He looks over at John. John's following him. He kind of looks over at John, and the green monster shows up a little bit. It says in John 21, 20 to 22, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, who was following them. When Peter saw him, he said, Lord, what about him? <laughs> Jesus said, if I want him to remain until I return, what is that to you? So Peter knows that he's blown it. God said, I'm going to build my kingdom on, on, on that truth, and you're going to be the head of the church. And he blew it. And he's looking at John, and John didn't blow it. John was there. He didn't take off during the arrest and the crucifixion. John was all the way through and was there. To the very, and Peter's like, well, what about him? Are, are you gonna, is he going to get more than I am now? What, is he going to do better than me? And Jesus says something to him. He says to all of us when we start comparing, none of your business. He says, if I want him to remain until I come back, that's not your business. That's not your story. Don't compare yourself. None of your business. But that's our temptation. What about them? Why do their kids do better than mine in school? Why, why do they get that job and I didn't? Why is their house bigger? Why is their church doing this? Why, 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 did, why does he get to marry that? Why am I single and they're married? Why am I married and they're single? We, we always compare. And it's poisonous and toxic. And it ruins us. 
And then Keller says we go then from comparing to wanting. Not only do we compare, we want what other people have. We think what we have is not enough. The green monster says, I can't get no satisfaction. And we start wanting. We want their wife, their life, their job, their, their position, our name in the paper, not this. We want what other people have, and it makes us miserable. The number one country western song this year, the one at CMA Awards, album and group song, was about, it was written by a woman, about another woman. And it, it, it's called Girl Crush. And you think at first, in fact, the actual, when they started playing it, uh, country western uh, stations wouldn't play it at first because they thought it was about same-sex love, but it's not. It's about pure, 100% envy. It's a woman who's lost her boyfriend to another woman, and she says this. Listen to the want in this song. I want everything she has. I want that smile. I want that midnight laugh. I want her long blonde hair. I want her magic touch. Yeah, because maybe then you'd want me as much. I want. And she's miserable. And that's what envy does to us. It makes us want what we don't have. And it makes us miserable. And it makes us not appreciate what we do have. And then as the green monster continues to grow and take more power in us, uh, Keller says we go from comparing wanting to resenting people. We start resenting them. And the way you can tell, and the way I can tell in my life that that's taking over, is if someone I know, or someone I'm jealous of, or someone in my, that I'm close to, if they have a success, it tears me up. If they get that job, it wounds me. If their kid does better than mine, it hurts me. If their house is bigger than mine, if they do well and they succeed, instead of celebrating with them like we should if we're full, it hurts me. And an even deeper symptom is that when something bad happens to someone that I've been comparing myself to, or something bad happens to someone that I'm always jealous of, that secretly I celebrate. They lose that job. Their kid screws up. They get sick. Secretly in my heart, I'm like, yay. That's when I know that the sin, the green monster, has a hold of me. That's the bad news. And what happens if we let the monster rage? In the, in the Avenger movie, there's a time at the end where it's, the, the battle's going big, and Captain America looks at Hulk, and he says, Hulk, smash! And he tears up the whole city, and he just destroys everything. When we let envy and pride in comparison run our lives and live in that darkness instead of the light of Christ, it smashes our friendships, it smashes our children because we expect too much of them, it smashes our marriages, it smashes our churches, it tears our lives up. Just recently, a man that I knew, and a man that I worked with in the pharmaceutical industry, he was envious. He wanted to have the life of all these doctors he was working with. He became friends with another doctor. They went into business together. This other doctor who had a good business, had a family, had a wife, started seeing another woman. That woman broke up with him and started dating another doctor. And this doctor hired this guy that I knew and paid him in silver bars to kill that other doctor. And now a man's dead and two men are in prison for the rest of their lives. Because they let envy have its way. It smashes. Are you glad you came this morning? <laughs> That's the bad news. What's the good news? What is the light versus the darkness? Well, three things that help me, and this is no formula for <clears throat> fixing. I don't like formulas, but this is what, kind of what helps me when I start finding myself looking like the green monster. Just three things. The first is to repent. The first is to repent. The second is to remember. And the third is to rely. Repentance, remembrance, and reliance. First, it's just to repent. I'm not a name it, claim it kind of preacher. I do believe name it, claim it in this. To name that sin. 
To say, God, I am jealous of this. God, I envy this. God, I am comparing. I'm wanting. Is to name it and ask forgiveness in the name of Christ. God, forgive me for this sin. To not make a virtue out of envy and greed and overachieving. To realize and call it what it is. To repent of it first. Call it what it is. And then to remember all the scriptures say, when we go through the story this spring, we're going to take a kind of a, a flyover look at the scripture. We're going to always see in the scripture, God says, remember, remember the Red Sea, remember the manna, remember the quail, remember the cross, remember your sin, remember my love, remember. One of the greatest things you can do is to wake up every day or sometime in your day and write down all the things you have. A woman named Ann Vaskamp. She had a false camp. She had a horrible thing happen to her, something that any of us would be bitter about. Horrible things happened in her life, and she was becoming bitter. She was sleep, sleeping in the, seeping into the darkness, sleeping in the darkness. She was becoming a green monster, and she started saying, I'm going to find a thousand. I'm going to count every day something I'm grateful for until I get to a thousand. And she wrote a book called A Thousand Gifts that changed her life. We've got to remember the good stuff. Remember how much we have. And then finally, the most importantly, Besides, repent and remember is to rely on Jesus Christ. It's to rely on Christ. To fill all those empty spots that we're trying to fill with other crud, other crap, other stuff, other people. To rely on Jesus Christ. To fill us up. That he is our satisfaction. I know of a lady. She kept wanting, kept envying, kept trying to find satisfaction in another husband. She had five husbands. Then she was living with a guy. She got so desperate she started walking the street. She became a prostitute. Her life was a mess. The other women in the city wouldn't even hang out with her. They wouldn't go to a social place with her. She showed up one day with a jug of water to fill up her water jug in the middle of the day. And there's this guy there. He's a holy man. He's a Jew. He says to her, give me a drink. She goes, what? You don't want anything else from me like other men? No, I want to drink water. He's trying to connect with her. And then he said, if you knew who I was <laughs> and what I could give you, he would ask me for living water, and I would give you water that would cause you to never thirst. She said, give me that. And he quenched every thirst she had. He met every hunger. He, in fact, he said in the scriptures to her, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is saying, you can get all the satisfaction you need if you really know me. You will find what you're looking for if you truly find me. The world is not enough, but I'm all you need. And when you find out that I'm all you have, you realize I am all you need. I will fill you up to overflow. Paul says it like this in Philippians. My God will supply everything you need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He is that lover we seek. He is that new car thrill. He is that achievement. He's that promotion. He's that bonus. He's that everything that we're looking for that we want, that we compare, that we resent others for. It's all in Jesus Christ. He fills us up. <clears throat> this past Friday, a member of my family, my kid's cousin, my, their mom's nephew, a 21-year-old student at Texas A&M. Friday night, he actually walked out of the traffic, was hit by a drunk driver and killed. I went to that funeral in a dark time, a dark funeral. A, a dark, it could have been dark. The death of a young man, senseless. But the family, because they're believers in Christ, instead of saying why, instead of comparing themselves to other families, why didn't it happen to them? Instead of wanting him back, instead, instead of resenting, they relied on Jesus. The highlight of that service, my daughter and some other women got up and sang this. In the midst of darkness, they sang about the light of Christ. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. What height of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, 
when strivings cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. What will you do this holiday? What will you do this year? Will you continue to let the great monster run your life? Will you compare and want and resent? Or will you rely, remember, repent? Will you let Jesus fill you? Will we let you, will we be people of the light or of the darkness? I'll close with this. It's a shameless picture of me and my, <laughs> I'm getting ready to see him. This is my granddaughter. See the resemblance, bless her heart? This is Willow, Ruth. She can't talk yet, but she uses baby sign language. My daughter has taught her this amazing language. And whenever she's eating and she wants more, she does this. This means I want more, I want more. But whenever she's full, she does this. Brothers and sisters, those that know Christ and those that don't, are you going to be this kind of person that you're always saying this to God, I want more, I want more, I want more, and never be full? Or will we turn to Jesus Christ and say, I'm full, I'm satisfied, I found what I'm looking for. Let Jesus, the light of the world, be that for you. And now we're going to hear from one of our dear friends to talk about how First Pres is bringing the light of Christ into people's lives. George.